97.3 ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Andrew DeCecco is here today. It's brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com, and we'll win real money with their sports book, along with casino games from the comfort of your home. You must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get Andrew's take on this game. Some X-Factors, some things to watch, some matchups here as the Eagles have their hands full with Aaron Donald. That we know, but what else about this team should we take a look at? Let's bring Andrew DeCecco from 97.3ESPN.com and the InsideTheBirds.com podcast with us here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. And, Andrew, uh, you look at this uh, Rams team. It's Aaron Donald. If I was to say, what is the identity of the Rams, what's your answer? Their identity is their aerial attack right now. Todd Gurley's no longer there. They have a young backfield with Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, and Daryl Henderson, but they do have the nucleus of receivers in Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and they have Josh Reynolds and a young Van Jefferson, who I do anticipate them utilizing frequently on, on Sunday. So this is a team, by the way, you mentioned the passing game, and I think everybody has remembered them as this passing team. They ran the ball 40 times last week. Jim Schwartz stressed Mm -hmm. on Tuesday, hey, they're committed to the run. So is uh, there some thought that maybe they are changing their identity? I think so. When you look at they brought in a new offensive coordinator in Kevin O'Connell, it's really the first offensive coordinator that the Rams have had since 2017 when, of course, they had Matt LaFleur. So he's bringing in some new ideas and concepts. Obviously, Sean McVay still calling the plays. And there's going to be, you know, the same subtleties that they've always had. You're going to see a heavy usage of 11 personnel, some pre-snap motion, and lots of play-action passes. I think that that was kind of, kind of getting their footing in the first week. The running game was working. They wanted to go to it. Um, they didn't have a receiver uh, that really did any damage outside of Robert Woods, who uh, had eight targets and over 100 yards receiving. And he's really the engine of the passing game. Cooper Cup gets a lot of the recognition, but make no mistake, Robert Woods is is the engine that makes that offense go. Rams did try and commit to the run super heavy. Do you think that that can actually benefit the Eagles? I do, but the more I think of it is, the Eagles may not be fully equipped to even stop the run. Let's not forget that Vinnie Curry, one of the best run-defending linemen that the Eagles have, is out for the foreseeable future with injury. Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham both listed as questionable. You're going to have to rely on guys like Casey Tuhill, Josh Sweat for increased snaps. Casey Tuhill in his first NFL game might have to promote Joe Osman from the practice squad tomorrow. We'll find out. There's going to be a lot of – and Jannard Avery's not really equipped to handle the, the run game. He's, remember, he's very undersized, about 250 pounds. He's more of a speed edge, edge rusher rather than a, you know, a, a primary run-defending defensive end. So, I mean, there – and but the, the encouraging news that we just heard is that uh, 
Javon Hargrave was a full participant today. So all signs point to him playing, which they really need. Obviously, Malik Jackson had played really well last week. He gives them that flexibility to play inside and outside, but also having Javon Hargrave there. You have Hassan Ridgeway. They're, they're going to have some guys there, but they're going to be really light on the edge. Yeah, I literally, I just saw this, that Hargrave was a full participant, number one. How much of a surprise is that? And number two, I mean, Malik Jackson played really well. Obviously, Fletcher Cox is not coming out of the lineup all that much. But So what does getting Hargrave back bring to this defense? Um, that I mean, they played well last week. They gave up 27, so you might think, ah, they didn't play that well. They gave up 27, but... Yardage-wise, they didn't give up all that much because they kept getting short fields. So what does the return of Hargrave mean to this defense? It means a lot to the defense. I mean, I do anticipate him starting, but I don't know that he'll be he's ready to full, full-on take on you know a full slate of snaps. I think we'll have to be in a rotation with Malik Jackson. Remember, Hargrave hasn't played in nearly a month, but probably about a month now with that pec injury and hamstring injury. So it, it is kind of miraculous to see him ready to go for this Sunday. And they really need him when you look at there. And there's a lot of opportunity here. When you look at the, particularly the left side, the Rams offensive line with 38 year old Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, you have uh, Austin Blythe at center who can play both guard positions and he plays center, but he's a little bit undersized and not as athletic and Austin Corbett, the right guard. There's going to be some opportunity there to really get some interior rush going and, really disrupt the backfield and, and, and the running game, and they really need all bodies there to be able to do that. So that's definitely encouraging. If need be, due to injuries like Brandon Graham and the concussion and Derek Barnett, although it does seem like he's on the right path, but if anything does happen, do you see a scenario where maybe Malik Jackson plays the outside? Yeah, and I really do think that he would have to in that scenario because you, you, then you all of a sudden you're looking at guys like Casey Tuho who's never taken an NFL snap. I mean, it, it would just be his second NFL game. He wasn't active last week. But it's not fair to ask somebody like that to play 20 snaps and, and play at a high level. Um, and then you also have probably Joe Osman who's going to have to be playing in his first NFL game. Just for the There's just going to be a sheer lack of bodies there, and I think that you really need to add a veteran guy because – you know, we've mentioned it on the inside the birds.com articles and also they mentioned it on the podcast. Josh Sweat's not really equipped to play over 50 snaps. He played a career high 49 snaps last week, but he's had, he has a history of the knee injuries dating back to high school. Not really equipped to be able to play a lot of snaps like that over a long period of time. He obviously is very productive when he's been out there, but in order to sustain his effectiveness, I think that they really need to get a rotation going and get some guys healthy. Andrew Nacheco is with us here for football at four Eagles and Rams. Uh, that's some good news with uh, obviously uh, Hargrave, Derek Barnett, as we mentioned, full participant as well as, as Andrew mentioned, Brandon Graham, full participant as well. So it looks like the Eagles, there was a lot of questions earlier in the week when we had you on, Andrew, uh, about mm-hmm. who's going to play defensive end. It looks like Barnett and Graham and Hargrave answer some of our questions there. Let's look at some of the other injury, uh, key injury stuff here, and that would be uh, the obvious return of Lane Johnson. Now today, Doug Peterson said Nate Herbig will start at right guard. So uh, how about that matchup for Herbig? Do you anticipate the Rams giving him a lot of Aaron Donald? Yeah, I sure do. And the first thing I thought of, I anticipate a lot of stunting with Aaron Donald, pressuring that side. They're really they're going to test Lane Johnson and his ankle. He's not going to be 100%, but like we talked about, Lane Johnson at 85 or 90%, you'll certainly take that. That's better than most right tackles in football. 
Um, but they're definitely going to take advantage of that. They're going to take advantage of Nate Herbig. Jason Kelsey's role in this game becomes even more important than it has in recent in recent year in over the past year because now he has to kind of control that. That because they have Michael Brockers and they have, um, of course, Aaron Donald, two two guys that like to get a lot of penetration. So he's going to also have to aid Nate Herbig, who's going to be have his hands full with Michael Brockers and those guys. So he's going to have a lot on his plate. Um, Jason Kelsey is, and and then you know Nate Herbig's going to he's going to definitely be in for a long afternoon in a second NFL start. Do you think Brown, who they just acquired off Chicago's practice squad, has a legit chance in the near future of maybe taking that spot away from Herbig? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's not forget that he he's played in 60 NFL games, uh, Jamon Brown did, and including 41 starts. Once he gets the, the blocking schemes down and, and, and the concepts that the Eagles are implementing, I think that you'll see him become uh, that, that starter. And you really need a veteran in there. You have a veteran offensive line, and the guy who has so much experience like he does, I think it's only a matter of time before he unseats Nate Herbig. I'm interested to get your take now on, um, you know, last week, uh, I mean, you look at the Eagles secondary, and last week I thought they did a pretty good job. Slay, um, you know, I thought pretty much uh, lived up to the hype. Maddox, I thought, played pretty well. And uh, Nikel Roby Coleman, who's playing facing his former team, so I'm interested to get your take on that matchup in the secondary. You mentioned Woods, Cooper Cup is a bigger slot mm-hmm. guy. Um, so how do the Eagles' defensive backs match up with this? Uh, you know, which a lot of people think of the Rams, they think of this high flying offense, but I think the Eagles' secondary matches up pretty well with them. Do you? I do. And last week they really they really showed up and they impressed me in certain areas. Avante Maddox in particular on veteran Dontro Edmond who had who was about six three, goes about six three. I thought Maddox did a nice job there. Obviously Darius Slay was as advertised last week, always surrendered two catches for twenty six yards to Terry McLaurin. That was impressive. Actually the guy who I, I thought was going to have the best game out of all of them was Nikel Roby Coleman and he surrendered, I believe it was five catches or so to Steven Sims Junior. Um, but not for many yards. Not not for many yards. I thought he did. He held up decently. But he's going to have a particular challenge this week going against the six-three Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson, who I I felt going into the last, uh, going to the draft that he was the most accomplished uh, route runner in the entire draft. Obviously, Sean Jefferson's son, and he has a lot of upside as a you know vertical slot. He's going to be a factor in this game. I do think Avante Maddox is going to take on. Uh, Cooper Cup on the outside, and I think Slay is going to handle Robert Woods. And you know, Robert Woods isn't going to wow everybody with tremendous with this tremendous speed, but he has fantastic body control. He's a terrific route runner. He's a route salesman, and he's very savvy. And in my opinion, Robert Woods is one of the most underrated wide receivers in football. So I think that yeah, obviously last last week he was the he was the guy that they, that they were going to. He had eight targets. So I think that Slay's going to trail him. Um, last week, the Rams ran it 40 times. We've talked about that. What do you think of the Eagle linebackers last week and how they match up with the run game here? Because one concern I would have is if the Rams stick committed to the run and run it 40 times. Like, yeah, the Eagles might do a good job at stopping the run, but could it wear them down uh, as that game goes on with those smaller linebackers? What do you think of the linebackers last week? Because I know that's an area you wanted to keep your eye on. Yeah, I thought the linebackers were fine. They didn't really do anything to stand out. They were rather uninspiring. They, I mean, obviously, they, they kind of struggled with Logan Thomas over the middle there. Um, they're going to struggle this week in, in the running game, especially if you're missing, you know, Brandon Graham or, you know, or Derek Barnett or, or, or possibly both. 
because then all of a sudden, you know, you might you might get some penetration there with Fletcher Cox and, and Javon Hargrave, but over time, they're going to get to that second level and they're going to wear on those guys. And that's where having those smaller linebackers that move very well laterally but, and they and but and and play well in coverage, they're not going to be hold up very well against the run. That's where a guy like T.J. Edwards really would come into play there. How do you feel about the coaching matchup? I know it's hard to say this now after last week, but. Look, Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz—they have a good record against Sean McVay and this team. Yeah, I, I, Doug Peterson has Sean McVay's number. There's no doubt about it. Sean McVay came out like gangbusters. That's all. Like in his first couple of seasons there with the Rams, he he was known as being this this you know fantastic innovator, this brilliant offensive mind. And for a while there, he was, but over the past year or so, it's felt like the league really caught up to him. There were certain things that that weren't really that weren't really going as anticipated. When you look at last season, uh, you know, on first down, when they when the Rams were run on first and 10 in the first half, in 2018, they averaged their six yards per carry. Last season, they were at 3.5 yards per carry. They couldn't get anything going. Their offensive line was ravaged by injuries. They couldn't, they, they couldn't hit on a lot of these deep balls, and they just kept going back to the well. Much like what you saw last week with the Eagles, there was a lot of different things there that McVay wasn't really – he wasn't altering his style, and he proved to be a little bit stubborn in his in his concepts and approach. And I think that's what kind of uh, that's what kind of was their ultimately their detriment last season. Uh, speaking of the coaches, there was a uh, interesting report last night that suggested that Doug Peterson was at the end of the line. I don't know what that means. Was he like out of patience, or they're uh, coming to the end of the line from him? But w- what do you make of? Uh, the fact that, uh, you know, is there, is there problems with the organization and Doug? Are they not seeing eye to eye on things? Well, what is your take on that? Yeah, Jeff, uh, Jeff sent me a text last night and we both agree that that was one of the weirdest reports that we've seen. Um, just the wording and, and just the, the whole, the whole point of I mean, that. I listened that. to, I listened to the verbal part of it. I mean, they were talking kind of back and forth in a podcast and, he just ran. Oh, he's at the end of the line, and it, it, it was it, at the end of the line. It was no reference as to what. Yeah, and and that to me sounds more like an opinion. You know, you could really make a case that every coach is at the end of the line. You can't really base things off of one game. I think that's the like in Philadelphia when you lose when they lose one game, it, it, fans are of the belief that they lost. You would have thought they lost seven games. Um, you know, I think everything's kind of blown out of proportion after one game and things, and this kind of stuff, this kind of chatter gets kind of died down when, you know, they get back on track this week and hopefully pick up a victory. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think anybody thought that Doug did a great job in the first game. I don't know. He's been a little testy, but he's been testy in the past after they lost games, right? I mean, he has, he has been a little terse this week. Yeah. I've noticed that very short. Yeah. Well, and he's been like in the past when they've lost and they've had some stretches. Look, the last two years, they have not got off to great starts and he was frustrated. And then they've played well in the second half of the season. But I want to ask you about the importance of this game because yeah, you have Cincinnati next week, and they're just what they are. But you got a stretch of San Fran, Baltimore, Pittsburgh coming up. Mm-hmm. What does that do to the importance of this? I hate to say week two. I'm certainly not that guy that says it's must win. But, man, that's a very daunting schedule you have coming up after next week. Yeah, and I'm with you. I'm one of those guys that I hate to call any game a must win. But when you look at the slate of games that are to follow, it doesn't get any easier. You cannot afford – to go zero and two if you're the Eagles, when you look at the like you said, they pretty much have a murderer's row of teams that are that are coming after the Bengals. So um, you really you had to have last week. You really did. 
and they couldn't afford to let that slip away. But that's that that was that's in the past now. They have to move forward, and I do think that they're going to come away with a victory this week. But yeah, I mean, they have they had to go zero and two and and really face those games. That's going to be a challenge to kind of rebound and get out of that hole. Now we all we, we heard Carson Wentz say Aaron Donald's a monster. He's a game wrecker. So what do the Eagles do to kind of get away? I mean, they've handled him well in the past, Andrew. He's played three games. In three games against Philly, he has five tackles and no sacks. So uh, whatever they've done, they have figured out a way to kind of neutralize him. Yeah, I mean, that he's been their game wrecker. And been, I should say he's been their primary game wrecker. And, and I think their approach going into the game, obviously, it's every team's approach is don't let that guy beat you. Let somebody else, if, if, if someone's going to get through on the on the defensive line, let, let that be, you know, all right. But don't let, the you know, number 99 be the reason why, you know, our offense, our, our execution's off. And I think that Josh Stoughton's blocking scheme, and he's schemed it up perfectly, and he really has been a non-factor, Aaron Donald has, in, in those games. So, um, but now it's a different ball game, Mike, because you have a guy like Nate Herbig, and like they they haven't gone into their matchups with with such a in it with with an inexperienced line. I mean, obviously they're getting a lot of their veteran players back, but Nate Herbig's going. I mean, he's right in the middle of that line. So if the communication and, and the familiarity playing next to Lane Johnson could be a factor on Sunday. Speaking of game-changing players, Miles Sanders looks to be back, and I just wonder. We saw what happened with Deshaun Jackson. And is this another scenario where maybe this coaching staff goes with the philosophy of let's make sure we ease him in so nothing significant mm-hmm. happens? Yeah, exactly. And uh, Miles Sanders is one of the most important players on offense, Hunter. And they're gonna. I would. I would anticipate them being a little bit ginger and tentative in rushing him back, not to, to ensure that they don't rush him back and gradually implement him into the offense, save him for crucial plays. Maybe, you know, maybe instead of him getting 16, 18 touches, maybe he gets, you know, 11 or 12. And you you kind of lean on Boston Scott. Boston Scott, by the way, I was not very impressed with him last week. But, you know, you maybe you lean on somebody like him and really go back to the short passing game that you didn't do last week and you saw there was opportunities there. Maybe you utilize a, a Boston Scott or a Corey Clement to kind of use that as an extension of the running game. Andrew, uh, last week you mentioned a couple X-Factors. We'll get a couple from you this week. Uh, Greg Ward was one of them. Goddard had a really good game. How do those guys factor in against this Rams defense? Well, I, I think Greg Ward is a player that he's always, he always has – he's not going to burn you. He's not going to be a downfield burner. He has that lateral quickness, but he's, he always finds – he always has an act for finding the soft spot in the, in the zone. And, he, and he, you got to see that last week when Carson Wentz was on the move. Greg Ward found a, found an opening and, and caught the football. He's very secure hands. There's a connection there with him and Carson. I think he's going he's going to be fine in almost every matchup because he's very quarter he's a quarterback friendly player. Um, so, the, but so the X factor for the Eagles, I would say it's Dallas Goddard. I'm not really impressed with their linebackers of the uh, of the Rams. If you look at what they have there, uh, Samson uh, Abukam is he's a more athletic edge rusher. But in the middle there, they have Micah Kaiser and Troy Reader. Those are two guys that are more proficient against the run rather than being adept in pass coverage. So I think there'll be opportunities there to attack the Rams in the intermediate routes and, and through the seam there with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Um, and then I would say the Rams' X factor is going to be Robert Woods. Robert Woods, like I was saying, he's the engine that makes things go. He got the, When he got going early last week, 
It opened up the running game and all these different things, all these different options for the, uh, for the Rams. And, and Cooper Cup wasn't even really a factor last week. So um, if you get Robert Woods going, it seems to open, the, open up the floodgates on offense and, and just kind of create all these different options for the, that they have there. So um, Robert Woods and Tyler Higby, the tight end, and Gerald yeah. Everett as well. So, yeah, Higby's a guy that uh, you know uh, they use a lot in that offense as well. Andrew DeCheco will get his uh, pick for the game coming up in just a second here on the Sports Bash. Football at 4 on 97.3 ESPN, the Eagles and the Rams this Sunday. You can hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. And uh, if there is a spot uh, that you would consider a weak spot for the Rams that the Eagles can go after, what's that? I think the Eagles can go after their uh, – I think they can go after the middle, their second level of their defense. The linebackers, like I said, they don't move particularly well. I think you can get the running backs in space and get the tight ends in space. That's what's really going to open things up. You're going to look at Jalen Ramsey, who's probably going to be shadowing uh, Deshaun Jackson. I think Jalen Rager has an opportunity here, one-on-one coverage with Troy Hill, who doesn't run particularly well. I believe he's about a 4.5 or 4.6 speed guy. Scrappy player, very smart player, physical. But I think Jalen Rager can get one over the top on him. I don't think there's anybody that the Rams have outside of Ramsey that can take Jalen Rager one-on-one. They do have a fantastic free safety in John Johnson the third, who I think that he, if he provides coverage over the top, it's going to be challenging. But one-on-one coverage, I think Jalen uh, Rager is going to be able to take advantage of, uh, of single coverage. All right. Uh, and uh, obviously, you can hear the game here. We'll get uh... – your take and pick on the game in just one second. Don't forget, uh, we'll have Lindsey Theory, who covers the Rams, for more on these matchups coming up in about eight minutes from now. But, Andrew, give us your pick. Who wins and why? I like the Eagles to win this game 27-24. I think that they're not going to create the same – they're not going to make the same mistakes that cost them last week. I think Carson Wentz is going to be – I think they're going to be on – they were probably on Carson Wentz this week on some of his mechanics and fundamentals and – Carson wants to make sure that he's not at the top of conversation for for a bad reason. And, and Doug, I think Doug, you could you could hear him all week in the press conference. He definitely was a little bit shorter, and and he, I think he wants to prove that you know he's been questioned all week, and he made comments about you know uh, the writers writing something so eloquently about you know his play calling and this that and the other things. So I think he's going to come out on fire, and there's opportunity there, and I think they're going to strike early, and they're not going to make the same mistakes. All right, Andrew likes him 27-24. Sal Pal earlier, 20-17. to We'll have our picks later on in the show. And, of course, Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, like all guests appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. All right, Andrew, enjoy the game. You too, guys. Take care. All right, uh, we'll have Andrew back next week to get his reaction to that Eagle game. And Football at Four is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up. Now, the match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com. Win real money with their sports book and casino games from the comfort of your home. Must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's the big news, though. Javon Hargrave going to play. Looks like he has been cleared to go. That's exciting news. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. I, I mean, I'm pretty surprised. I thought at least three, four, five weeks that he was going to be out with that pectoral injury. Yeah, when it when the news first dropped, it seemed pretty devastating. I also think it's interesting that Dallas Goddard, I know I mentioned this a little bit ago, but the guy gets over 100 yards, and I just feel like maybe we haven't talked about that enough with the game plan of the Eagles offensively. About how much he's going to be involved. I mean, it just seems like, you know, like um, 
Greg Roman talked about the running backs. He said it's going to change every game. Like, the game plan is going to change. It depends. I think they, that's the Eagles. Like, the game plan for the tight end might change depending on the week to try to keep the other team guessing. Which tight end are they going to use more? It's a good point. All right, coming up, Lindsay Theory covers the Rams for ESPN.com's NFL Nation. She's covered the Rams for the last couple of seasons. She will give us some insight on the matchup. Which Rams players are we not talking enough about? Our conversation with Lindsay Theory from ESPN.com's NFL Nation is coming up on the other side. We'll have Ask Mike and Broads on a Friday at the back end of the hour. A little Friday? Got a uh, zero drink over there? Nope, just a good old iced tea. PT, happy hour Friday tonight at 5. We'll get the PT's take on the game and then Casey Joyner. One thought, every game. That's all still to come today on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. The Western Conference Finals are here. LeBron James and the Lakers are rolling. James the other way, behind the back dribble, to the rim and the P.N. All right, bottom of the hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Our outside view today, it's the L.A. Rams. Lindsey Theory, ESPN's NFL Nation, covers the Rams. They're in town with an empty stadium taking on the Eagles. Lindsey, this is a team, they seem to know each other pretty well. They didn't play last year. They played the previous two seasons. It's the first and second pick of the 16 draft. The Eagles have gotten the better of the Rams, but... Feels like the Eagles have the arrow pointing down, and after a Sunday night win, does it feel like the Rams, after not making the playoffs last year, feel a little bit more, um, you know, uh, excited for this season? It didn't seem like there was a lot of buzz around this Rams team, but that opening night win, they look good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A little bit more buzz. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Kind of going into the season, I think there was a lot of questions. What does this Rams team have? Obviously, you have Aaron Donald. You have Jalen Ramsey, but this offseason was unlike any other in the Sean McVay era in which they saw more stars depart than arrive here to L.A. Uh, but for early returns, we can't get too big on week one. It's like overreaction week, right? But the early returns of uh, first-year coordinator Brandon Staley's defense, it obviously held there in the fourth quarter. And then on offense, we saw kind of what it's going to look like without Todd Gurley, and so far, so good for the Rams. They ran the ball 40 times. Jim Schwartz said they're committed to the run. You mentioned all the stars leaving. When we think of the Rams under McVay, it's this, you know, a flashy offense. But do they want to be a, a more, you know, do they want to be recognized more as a committed to the run, 40 times a turnaround and handle it to Brown type of team? Well, I think they really got away from the run last year, right? And that had part to do with uh, Todd Gurley and the uncertainty around his knee and whatever that kind of bizarre situation was that lingered throughout the season. So they became a pass-only team. Um, obviously, that didn't work out for them. So they wanted to recommit to the run this season. They've obviously done that. They have Cam Akers, who they picked with their first pick in the second round there. And then the veteran Malcolm Brown, who you can expect to see in the red zone. Um, he's a trusted guy in those kind of situations. Uh, so I think we're going to see a lot more effort, a bigger effort, I should say, for this team to run the ball. But on the other hand, they do have several weapons. Sean McVay used to using three wideouts. This year we've seen a lot more two tight end sets. So I think they're really just kind of mixing it up more so than Sean McVay's ever done uh, since he's been coach. Lindsey Theory covers the Rams, ESPN's NFL Nation. Uh, you know Nikel Roby Coleman pretty well. That matchup with Cooper Cup should be pretty interesting. Slay and Woods, I mean, if the Rams are to throw the ball, this one should be an interesting matchup. Yeah, no doubt. I've actually covered Nikel Roby Coleman since he was at USC. 
So I, I know him for many, many years, and he is such a solid slot cornerback. I mean, nobody breaks up screens in the backfield quite as well as Nikel. And obviously, he knows the Rams' playbook. So I, I hate to break to Nikel. It has changed a little bit this season, but I think it's going to be really fun to watch. I mean, Nikel's aggressive. Uh, Cooper Cup is also very, very aggressive in the slot. Those two obviously have some knowledge about each other and kind of their tricks to the trade. So I think that's going to be really fun to watch on Sunday. Now you get a chance to see and talk to, I don't know how close to, uh, to the players this particular season with everything happening, but you do get an up close look at Aaron Donald. Uh, Carson Wentz called him a monster. You know, there is Donald. He is such a disruptor. Uh, but what is the rest of that Rams defense? I think everybody acknowledges how great Donald is, but who are some of the other players on that side of the ball? Yeah, well, right alongside Donald is Michael Brockers, and his return to the Rams was huge this season. He's a veteran guy. He had originally agreed to terms with the Baltimore Ravens before that deal fell through, so he's back. And as Aaron Donald tells us, he's able to do what he can because of what Michael Brockers is able to do up front. Um, a few young guys have really been stepping up. Uh, the Rams are starting a rookie sixth-round pick, Jordan Fuller from Ohio State, uh, at safety. So that was kind of a surprise going into week one. Uh, but other than Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, this defense is a lot of young, really unproven players. Um, but I think that, uh, again, based on how they performed late against the Cowboys, that uh, they might make some mistakes, but uh, it's a group that seems to really kind of thrive in those high-pressure moments. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they do on the road together. Uh, although, as you mentioned, there's going to be no crowd noise for them yeah. to battle. Especially here in Philly, where the home field advantage is pretty big. Uh, Lindsey Theory covers the Rams. They'll be in town this Sunday. You'll hear the game right here on 97.3 ESPN. I mentioned uh, the top two quarterbacks of the 16 draft. Goff was one. Wentz was two. Who is Jared Goff in year five? Jared Goff is a guy who now is taking over the offense, right? The last few years, it's Todd Gurley's offense, and Jared Goff's just kind of the conductor of it. Uh, but this year, this is Jared Goff's offense. and He's the leader of the group. Um, and he's a guy who's hungry to kind of bounce back. He knows last year was a down year, and he wants to be more consistent this year. Um, one thing's always true about Jared. He has an incredibly accurate arm. Um, so this season's really just about him being able to work behind the offensive line. That was a huge issue um, last season for this offense. So this year, Jared can probably just kind of return to who he was. You know, the Rams love the play action. Um, and with a new trio of backs behind him, Jared's kind of got all the weapons at his disposal. So year five, uh, they, they talk a lot about ownership and command of the offense. And it seems like this is going to be really the year that Jared Goff is going to be able to put his stamp on what the Rams are doing. Now, let me ask you, as football is underway, everybody loves football, but L.A. is a little different sometimes. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. The Lakers how many times are the Lakers ever going to play in the Western Conference Finals at the same time that the football team's playing? Where are the are they kind of flying under the radar a little bit here? Yeah, I think so. You know, like you mentioned, the Lakers. This is such a Lakers town, and right after the Lakers, it's the Dodgers town. Um, so those two teams are always going to kind of steal the shine. Um, so the Rams right now are, are a bit under the radar. Um, although they, I will say, just even walking around Los Angeles, you see more Rams gear than ever before. And whatnot. So their their fandomonium around town is growing, but uh, again, they're still firmly behind the Lakers and Dodgers, and probably for good reason. Those two teams have been around a very long time and have uh, strong histories of success in LA. Now, uh, Lindsay, obviously, uh, that's a very tough division out west. 
What kind of buzz is this particular game getting that the Eagles, you know, went out there, beat them in 17, then won the Super Bowl, and then the next year they were able to get the win here with Nick Foles? So is this game, you know, is there a big circle of importance around this game this early in the year, knowing how good that NFC West is? I mean, the cliche answer is going to be that every game is important when you're only playing 16. Uh, but I, don't, I really don't get the emphasis from the Rams or the sense from the Rams, I should say, that they're putting more, any more emphasis on this game than any other game on their schedule. Um, obviously, the NFC West opponents are huge. But to them, I think this is really just about going back east and conquering what's going to be the first of, of two long road trips and making sure that they can kind of take this COVID show and their little bubble on the road and, and still perform. So I think that's actually a little bit more of a, of a focus than must beat the Eagles. I mean, obviously they want to beat the Eagles, but as far as circling it with any extra importance, I, I don't think they have. Should be interesting. This Sunday, 1 o'clock, right here on 97.3 ESPN. She's Lindsay Theory, ESPN.com's NFL Nation, covering the Rams, and she, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Lindsay, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. All right, and of course, the Eagles and Rams, you can hear it all here. The coverage begins at 10 o'clock in the locker room with Billy Schwein. Merrill and Mike have the call at one right here on 97.3 ESPN. A lot of storylines in this one. It's Goff, it's Wentz, and of course, will they run? Will they throw? Who blocks Aaron Donald? We break it all down. Still to come here on the Sports Batch. It's a happy hour Friday. The PT's in the house and Casey Joyner. The matchups to watch in this game at 515, and he gives one thought on every game coming up today on the Sports Bash. This is the radio home of Philadelphia Eagles football. It's week two, and the Eagles host the L.A. Rams at the link. Back again goes Goff. He steps up. He is hit. Back the back of the 24. Pre-game coverage begins at noon. Merrill Reese and Mike Quick call all the play-by-play action starting at 1 p.m. Radio Talk Show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Phil's are up 1-0. Feel Yay. good about that? Feel good about that? Oh, yeah, I feel great. All right, uh, that doesn't sound very uh, convincing. All right, time for Ask Mike and Bro. It's brought to you by Prop Swap, where America buys and sells sports bets. Check them out online, PropSwap.com, PropSwap. Dot com. I got a Phil's question on the Ask Mike and Bros that came in today. You want me to start with that one? Yeah, why not? If and when the Phillies are eliminated from the playoffs, what changes do you guys see besides the bullpen front office changes? If no JT, who's the catcher of the future? Will Kutch be the left fielder next year, or will they get out of his contract? Rice, uh, Reese, Bruce, DD, will they all be back? They will also need starting pitching since Arietta will be gone. That was a lot of questions. Well, that's. I think the best way to answer the question is instead of giving the answers on all of that because we just don't know, I think that just shows you the issues that we have here in this organization, no? Yeah, let's try to break it down like this. If and when the Phillies are eliminated, no, when they're not making. Although Frank counters with they really only need to win six games, he thinks. I don't know that that's possible. You don't think they can win six more games? Probably not. Well, the Cardinals are right behind them, but their schedule's a lot easier than the Phillies is. 
Phillies are playing the Blue Jays. They got double headers. I mean, they can't win double headers, so it's automatically one loss of the two every single time. And the Cardinals are playing Pittsburgh and Kansas City, who are like dreck. Um, so what changes do you see besides bullpen front office? That's interesting. We had Kevin Cooney on earlier. He thinks Middleton will do whatever he has to do to get JT back. Where do you stand on that? He actually sold me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. The point of, you know, going out to JT Real Muto, seeing what he thinks about Gabe Kapler. You don't do that if you don't have the thought process of keeping this guy here long term. I think John Middleton understands what that means for Bryce Harper. I was sold a bit with what Kevin Cooney had to say about JT. How about you? Um, yeah, I'm not on the camp that I think JT definitely wants out of here, but there's a reason why the Phillies haven't reached out to him and given him the deal. I don't know. He's had a good year. Hasn't been. It got off to a great start, and he's been good. I mean, he's struggled a little bit now. I mean, do you think in his mind he's saying, I'm not going back there to play. I'm going to sit this. There's 14 games. I'm not hurting myself in my free agent year. That cross your mind at all? No, not really, because I think he's a competitor. This is the same guy that's frustrated when he's not playing every single day. So, catcher of the future, if JT leaves, I mean, you got this kid, Marshawn, who's 21. I don't know if he's a prospect that they think is going to be a major leaguer. And then you got Andrew Knapp. You cannot play 162 with Knapp. No, but I mean... Maybe you get another veteran guy and Nat plays half and the other guy plays. That's that's probably realistic. Yeah. I mean, you've given up Alfaro. He's a pretty good player. I mean, serviceable. Definitely serviceable. Yep, I would agree with you. Serviceable. He's if Jorge Alfaro was your starting catcher, I don't think you're in a horrendous spot. He's going to be in the playoffs. Real Muto won't be. Great point. Uh the Kutch thing. I did not like the Kutch contract when they signed it. I was not a fan of that contract. Going to get paid over $20 million again next year to be a 250 hitter and play left field. I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I just thought, look, it's baseball. doesn't really matter. There's no salary cap. But now that we're in this conversation, it seems, with John Middleton about not wanting to go over the luxury tax, I definitely view it differently. I didn't think it would really hold him back, but now that it is, it's concerning. Cooney brought up a lot of great points. Everybody they got is because other teams wanted to dump their salary, so the Phillies took on all these bad salary deals, and it made it look like they won the deal because, oh, we got Segura. We gave you, well, Segura's getting paid $15 million to be an average player. Oh, we got all these guys, and they're making big money. You signed McCutcheon. Nobody was going to pay McCutcheon. I said at the time, I said, who the hell's paying McCutcheon $60 million? It's ridiculous. I like Didi, though. Wasn't there a question about Didi in there? Uh, He said, Reese, Bruce, Didi, will they all be back? Um, Jay Bruce, I think, is insignificant. Reese Hoskins, if somebody would take him off your plate, you trade him in a heartbeat. In fact, I think whoever the next GM is, and if it's Clintac, God help us all, will push hard to to try to trade Reese Hoskins this offseason to get some pitching pieces. I think that's number one because then you can play Boom at first base. You can play Segura at third base, and you bring DD back. I would not be mad if that was the scenario at all. Now, I also wouldn't be mad if Reese Hoskins is here, but good GMs would probably utilize what Reese Hoskins just did 
in their favor and go, look at this guy. He is red hot. This isn't the time where you go, hold on, maybe we should keep him. This is the time, if you were thinking about trading him, this is the time where you use it because he has so much value based off of what he's put together over the last month or so. Yeah, I mean, to me, Hoskins is just a guy. I mean, that's the definition of just a guy. can't play anything but first base at this point, right. so, to me. So I have Hoskins, who I'm not married to, and if he has any value, I'm spinning the value as fast as I can. Then I can use Bohm over there. Bruce, nothing there. I mean, you do have the DH though, so the DH does change the. Could, can Reese D be your DH guy? Sure. I mean, even Bohm could be your. I mean, but I think Reese is the worst first baseman of all time. He's terrible over there. <laughs> but um, so yeah, if he's back, then one of them DHs. That's what I would do. But the Phillies, for some reason, they they don't like to use. Well, because McCutcheon this year too was coming off that knee injury. That kind of factored into him having to play some DH, I think, more than they probably would have liked him to. Like last I would night, agree with that. Like last night, he DH. I don't think is he in the lineup today because uh, I saw. Yeah, Quinn. he's in the lineup. Quinn was leading off, right? I don't think so. You might have just caught the inning at the. Well, at I saw Moniac strike out, and then Roman Quinn was behind him, and then oh, so Moniac's off. not hitting ninth. I figured he was hitting ninth. Okay, so he's hitting eighth, and and Quinn's hitting ninth. Yep. By the way, um, real quick, Eagles had Devonta Freeman in for a workout. Huh. What does that tell you? Or they're, they will be bringing him in for a workout next week. It tells me that they weren't very happy with the running back situation last week. And maybe they didn't like what they saw in practice this week. I don't know. I wonder if Freeman, too, is realizing that he was way too hard on the whole money situation and he... He's obviously going to have to take less money for the Eagles to sign him, right? Well, he's he, hasn't, he hasn't had any bites. Right. So at this point, it's do I want to play or do I not want to play? Right. Do I want to get a job or do I want to watch this season? Right. Now, we'll see what happens. I mean, clearly that would benefit this football team. Uh, by the way, last night's ratings are out. What do you think? Up or down? Is this for NFL or for NBA? NFL, last night, Thursday night football. You got Bengals, you got Browns. I thought it was an entertaining game. I, I thought the Browns obviously took control of it, but uh, what you saw out of the first overall pick was exciting for the Bengals and Joe Burrow. I, I'm going to say, so it it compares it to last week's Thursday night football game, no, though? from last year. Oh, last, last year, okay. week two, Buccaneers, Panthers. Hmm. I'm going to go it's, it was higher. Ratings were up. 6.6 million viewers, barely up from last year, 6.64. You also had an NBA playoff game going on at the same time. You did have an NBA playoff game. And NHL. Okay. <laughs> but yes, it went up. Miami, by the way, the basketball game last night had 3.4 million viewers, and the Tampa game had 1.1 million viewers. It was a big game. Went to overtime. It was exciting. Yeah. You got Tampa Bay Dallas in the NHL Stanley Cup final. It's pretty funny. Talk about hockey towns. Now, last year's game. Now, last night, too, you had Biden doing a town hall, so I'm sure that probably drew a lot of. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe people don't care about what Biden says. But normally last year there was a debate. Um, last year in week two there was a debate. So, But huge difference considering it's a bigger year, right? Uh, yeah, I'm just saying like last year week two 
the football game went up against a debate last night. There was a town hall from uh, Biden, so I don't know. There was there was there was a lot of other options, and yet the ratings were up. I guess is the the point. What do you think of the game? Um, I like Burrow. I mean, I thought he looked pretty poised. I think he's going to be pretty good. I, I don't I don't love Mayfield. Uh, something about him just I don't. I don't know. That team still, they played well last night. I think they should run the ball more. The kid, um, Chubb, is very good. Chubb and Hunt both put together strong performances. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a fun game. I was impressed with Joe Burrow. Yeah, it was I, I got a question here I want to get um, from Jason. Asked Mike and Broads. Did you both watch the game in your preferred environment last Sunday? The Eagle game? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it in my ca- on my couch. Okay, I didn't know if you got to your preferred environment week one. I didn't know if there was something to maybe. Now my preferred environment, play. like, see, I like to watch the game outside on the porch. Like, I like that chill in the air watching it outside on the porch. And then I have one of those heat things. So if it gets a little chilly, I put the propane on. The heat comes on. But I was inside last week. I don't know why. It was like a weird temperature. It was. Kind of, I think, you know, I I prefer a little chill in the air to go outside on the back porch and watch that game. Okay, so then technically you didn't. Yeah, technically. Well, I was on my porch couch by myself. I didn't have any like distractions. Yeah, I was in my preferred environment. Nice in the basement, big seventy-five inch on the wall. Put the volume on like eighty. You go eighty. No, I'm just being aggressive. It was loud. What's the what is the number on the volume you go? Well, see the TV on the right, on the top right. That one could be 25, and the bottom one could be 8, and it's almost like they're the same level of loudness. Yeah, in my bedroom, the the, the volume could be on 2, and I can hear it. Out in the <laughs> living room, I need it on, like, 82.